0: Tonight, the North Korean hackers going even further. This was just the latest in a series of leaks.
1: 143 million Americans, one of the largest cyber attacks in this country's history. Estimated losses from these
2: breaches in excess of $20 billion.
0: Hello and welcome back to Decrypted, a cybersecurity podcast for the everyday American. I'm your friendly neighborhood cyberman, Jacob Asaida, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host... Dayton Williams.
1: It's good to see you, Jacob. Well, it's good to hear you, Jacob.
0: Yeah, it's good to hear from you as well. So today on the podcast, we're logging back onto Facebook. More specifically, we'll be talking about the Cambridge Analytica scandal, where the personal data of up to 87 million users was gathered by the analytics company, Cambridge Analytica.
1: So... How did this all start? Well, in 2014, a researcher by the name of Alexander Kogan designed a Facebook app called This Is Your Digital Life. The app gathered basic profile information of Facebook users along with what they chose to like. About 300,000 Facebook users downloaded the app. The app collected data on not only a user, but all of their Facebook friends, if their privacy settings allowed it. In total, it collected data from 87 million users. It's also worth noting that the app, in its terms of service, said that it would collect data on users and their friends. Worth noting is that the app, in its terms of service, said that it would collect data on users and their friends. And most people's gut reaction would be, whoa, is this even legal? Yes. Since 2007, Facebook has allowed outside developers to build applications on their website. Facebook has also allowed developers to collect information if their privacy settings allow it. All of these users who downloaded that This Is Your Digital Life actually consented to giving up their information. So,
0: what's the problem? Well, Facebook says that Kogan lied to them, saying he was gathering data for research purposes and violated Facebook's policies by passing the data to Cambridge Analytica. Facebook's terms of service restrict data gathered to be used only for research purposes. This raises the question of whether Kogan, as well as Cambridge Analytica, violated the CFAA, that's the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, the big no-no statute for computer crimes, by circumventing a terms-of-service-based restriction when they gained access to the data. Additionally, the app gathered information not just on those who consented to the terms when they used the app, but also the information of friends who never used the app. Did they even get to consent then? Kogan defended his actions by saying that apps, terms, and services allowed commercial use. It's worth noting as well that Cambridge Analytica paid Kogan more than $800,000 for the app and its data. Facebook said that after it learned of the situation in 2015, it removed Kogan's app and demanded that he destroy the data that he collected.
1: Kogan couldn't really make Cambridge Analytica do anything, so they didn't listen to Facebook's request. On March 18th, the New York Times reported that leaked emails suggest that Cambridge Analytica still had their data trove. Cambridge Analytica has also continued to state that they deleted the data as well as carrying out an internal investigation to make sure that all the data was deleted.
0: Why does this matter? What could Cambridge Analytica do with this information? Well, Cambridge Analytica wanted all this data to target voters with hyper-specific appeals that go beyond traditional party messaging. This is known as psychographic targeting, or modeling. Psychographics is a qualitative means to understanding consumers. Often, this information is used to make marketing decisions or conduct social research. Cambridge Analytica's business model is simple. Why not use micro-targeted advertisements to narrow down voter constituencies? The Cambridge Analytica
1: scandal also matters because it provides a case study in testing whether or not data protection laws have any teeth. For instance, the UK has data protection laws that outright ban the sale or use of personal data without consent. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission also requires Facebook to get clear consent from users before sharing their material. Another important aspect of the scandal has been the Facebook users' reactions to the revelations of Cambridge Analytica. Facebook shares dropped almost 18% in the 10 days after Cambridge Analytica. And hashtag delete Facebook went viral as millions of users dropped the social media company.
0: This incident has raised questions about what sort of information that we're leaking When we go and use online services especially using social media people are rightfully concerned about their own privacy here additionally facebook was aware of the situation in 2015 this has only come to light now in 2018 this raises the question of whether a disclosure was necessary as people's private information was at stake to discuss these privacy ramifications of the cambridge analytical case we turn now to our guest joining
1: us this week on decrypted is
0: timothy edgar Timothy Edgar is a former national
1: security and intelligence official under the Obama administration, a cybersecurity expert, a privacy lawyer, and a civil liberties activist. Mr. Edgar is currently a senior fellow at the Watson Institute for International and Public Affairs at Brown University and the academic director for the Executive Master's in Cybersecurity.
2: Great to be here.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, today we'll be talking about Cambridge Analytica. Yesterday, the BBC reported that Cambridge Analytica a data gathering and analytics company who gathered 87 million Facebook users' private information is going bankrupt. So why has Cambridge Analytica caused such an uproar? Facebook's business model already includes selling information for advertisers. How is this any different?
2: Well, it's different, first of all, because Cambridge Analytica did actually violate the uh, terms that Facebook gave them when they bought the information. Um, And so it highlights a whole bunch of issues there. Um, Those terms are already pretty loose. uh, But then it highlights the question of compliance. I mean, if, if, A company promises to uh, use information for a particular purpose and not to use it for another purpose um, or to share information only under certain conditions. Um, What happened was that Cambridge Analytica was not complying with the terms that Facebook gave them. Facebook told them, okay, we want you to delete this data. Cambridge Analytica tells Facebook, yeah, we did, and then Facebook says, okay, we're good. Mm. And that highlights a serious weakness in this uh, economy that we have of personal data, which is the weakness of compliance. Um, You know, The assumption that everyone's just going to do what they say is obviously uh, not a valid one. Um, So Facebook didn't have a compliance team to go and check it out. Uh, They didn't have any way of enforcing these rules that they gave to companies that bought their data it seems pretty clear that facebook was simply selling the data and as long as they felt like they had covered themselves uh, they were okay and and that's caused huge problems for facebook obviously uh,
1: much more so than for this
2: company that's now gone under
1: how will the revelations of cambridge analytica impact the operations of future social media companies like facebook has privacy always been an emphasized aspect of social media users or is this a more recent trend
2: uh, Well, I think it's more recent that people are starting to take the issue of privacy seriously. Certainly, we've discussed the issue of privacy for many, many years. uh, But often, the answer has been from Silicon Valley, oh, get over it. You don't Mm -hmm. have any privacy. People don't really care about their privacy anymore. Or often, young people don't care about privacy. Uh, I think all of those excuses were just that. They were excuses. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we're seeing uh, the consequences of that. Uh, I think that with the 2016 election, uh people were starting to realize that uh advertising, you know, through social media was not just about products or services, uh it could be used for manipulation. It could be used for propaganda. It could be used to divide uh, an already divided society. Um mm-hmm. and that this was being done for profit by companies like Facebook. Uh and that puts the issue in a whole different light. Uh, that, that shows that our personal data is very, very valuable. Um, I was at a national security conference uh, just over the weekend in Virginia with some top government officials um, and one of them uh, one of the academics at that conference made a really interesting point about the fake news problem. Mm. Uh, he said uh... fake news is really not a free expression problem it's not a question you know you americans think of everything in terms of freedom of expression and so you know you think of fake news as well fake news is a problem but you know who's to say what news is fake and don't you have the right Mm -hmm. to speak anonymously thinking of it in terms of free expression fake news is really a privacy problem Hmm. because the only reason fake news works is because companies like facebook collect this detailed personal information about every one of their users so that uh, companies using uh, uh, tools like Cambridge Analytica's can then sort us out into little groups and then push our little buttons in exactly the right way. Hmm. And so some uh, intelligence service of a foreign government or uh, somebody who's a troll in uh, some other country can create a fake news site and push our buttons and divide us in certain ways And that that's really much more a privacy problem, because it depends on people having all that information about us in order to push those buttons. And I thought that was a very interesting perspective.
1: You mentioned pushing buttons. What do you mean by that? What kind of buttons are being pushed?
2: Well, look, social media companies depend on learning a lot about us, sometimes even information that we may not know ourselves, to understand what is interesting to us. The point is to keep us on their site and to keep us being exposed to their advertising. You know, we're the product, not the uh, not, not the user. Um, and uh, there's nothing wrong necessarily inherently with that model in the sense that, you know, social media provides an important service for all of us that we take advantage of. Um, but the effects on society uh, have been to basically create an extremely sophisticated form of propaganda uh, in which You know, because of your likes, your tastes, because of your certain things about your uh, demographic background, um, the social media company learns a lot about you. And so they know that, you know, you're the type of person that will believe something, you know, very negative about Donald Trump or very negative about Hillary Clinton, whether it's true or false, and that you're going to be intrigued and you're going to want to click on that link. Um, and whether that's, you know, something political or whether it's just something about personal lifestyle, uh, doesn't really matter to them. Their, their job is to increase your engagement with their site. Um, and uh, putting it in a positive way, uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, said, you know, our job is at Facebook is to make sure that people's time on Facebook is time well spent. Mm. They even used it as an acronym, TWS and uh... that's really just a positive way of saying we want to have people on our site more Mm -hmm, uh... mm -hmm. that's our job is to create uh... people who are you know obsessed with facebook and being on that site uh... because that level of engagement increases their business model increases their advertising dollars now if they're doing a good job you know then mark Zuckerberg's slogan it makes a lot of sense if that is time well spent if it connects you to friends great Um, But that's not really the goal of the company or any social media company. Uh, The goal is to further a certain business model. And I think we're starting to see the negative impacts of that model in certain areas when it comes to our privacy, when it comes to our democracy, our values of free expression. Um, And that is new. Uh, I think there's always been some uh, controversy around privacy when it comes to social media. Um, but the the rest of the public hadn't really caught on uh, to some of the negative impacts of the way this social media model works until, I think, uh, the 2016 election, the controversy around fake news, the controversy around the way in which these companies are actively marketing that personal data uh, to advertisers, including political campaigns, in order to make money off of uh, our personal uh,
1: interaction with their site. You mentioned privacy and facebook users losing their privacy how does a loss of privacy on this scale affect the people who use facebook what are the possible repercussions on their lives for the average person privacy online is difficult to perceive how do you know if your privacy has been compromised and are there any structures in place to seek justice
2: well first i want to unpack a little bit the idea of privacy um Uh, sometimes people think privacy is just the same as secrecy, It's the same as being private. That's not what privacy is. Privacy is you having some degree of control over how you share your personal information. Uh, Facebook as a company actually uh, was popular precisely because it promised people a type of privacy that they don't have if they created their own website, for example. Mm -hmm. The idea is, well, you have a list of friends and you share with your friends yes there's some information on your public profile so people can find you but then a lot of these intimate things you're posting about your family or about your political beliefs or what what you're doing uh, where you're traveling are accessible to a list that you get to select that's the promise that Facebook is making uh, to its uh, to its users quite different, for example, than Twitter, which doesn't really promise you that kind of privacy. You know, you tweet mm-hmm. and anyone can follow you. Uh, so, so I think that's an important point to make: is that privacy is really control of your personal information, um, and it's it's as human beings, you know, we're social beings. Privacy is a social value. Um, So privacy means sharing information with the people that you want to share it with, and having some ability to shield that information from people you don't want to share it with, uh, because you just don't have that kind of relationship with somebody. Mm. So obviously Facebook itself has access to all of that information, and that's where we get into the privacy issues. I think that we, as users of social media, understand that the social media company has access to the information we're sharing with our friends, Mm. Uh, and that the social media company is using that information in some vague way, uh, I think most users understand, to deliver targeted advertisements. I think when they go beyond that, when they start sharing it with third parties, or when they start offering kind of concierge service to uh, companies that are trying to find clients, uh, or when they misuse or, or, or uh, uh, lose information, that's where that type of relationship or contract, regardless of what the terms of service say they can do, that's where we kind of feel like our privacy has been violated mm-hmm. because we didn't sign up for that. That's not what right. we expected to be used. Uh, with our information and and, you know that's really privacy as expectation is an important way to think about that Mm -hmm. Uh, Helen Nissenbaum at New York University uh, has written a series of books that discuss how privacy is really a way of describing a very complex uh, series of expectations that we have as a society about how information that we produce in our own lives, personal uh, lives or work lives is shared or not shared with whom and for what purpose. Hmm. And that when those expectations are violated is when we feel like there's been an invasion of our privacy. Right, right. And so social media disrupts those expectations, um, but it also creates new ones. Uh, I've noticed, for example, with my students here at Brown University, um, that the notion that the young people don't get privacy or don't understand privacy is just completely false way of understanding the way in which young people interact with technology. Um, uh, people who have grown up using certain types of technology are more familiar and comfortable with it than people who, who haven't or are new to it. But they also create a whole set of expectations around that technology that, you know, a, an older generation may find odd, actually. Um, sometimes expectations that might be quite unrealistic, uh, mm-hmm. like, well, I've posted that photo, you know, uh, to this particular site, but I didn't expect you to use it in this particular way, and you didn't ask my permission. Mm-hmm. Um, an older person might think, well, that's crazy. Why did you? You know, you shouldn't have posted it. You shouldn't have had that level of trust. Uh, whereas uh, some of my students would think, there's nothing crazy about that expectation. It was violated in this case. You're, I mean, you're always taking a risk. Um, But that is the right expectation. So I think that is part of what's going on uh, right now in society is a clash of an older understanding of privacy with newer understandings that are Mm -hmm. mediated through technology and social media. And these kinds of privacy scandals are actually part of what helps us move to a new level of understanding. Uh, So getting back to Cambridge Analytica and the Facebook scandal, I think that really this is a... A massive societal lesson, a lesson for that company, a lesson for all of us and for society Mm. about something that can go very, very wrong with the model that they were using. And we are still working out uh, what to do in the wake of that uh, privacy disaster.
1: A follow up question to that. Why do you think Cambridge Analytica has spurred this reaction as compared to the OPM hack or the Equifax breach or any other massive loss of private information?
2: I think the uh, other kinds of breaches are seen uh, simply as a form of, of malicious cyber crime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, OPM wasn't selling data to the Chinese. The Chinese hacked into OPM and stole that data. So that is a problem of cybersecurity for the federal mm-hmm. government. Obviously, they didn't have good enough cybersecurity. It's also an issue of uh, international relations with a major power like China. Um, so it's an important issue, but it's it's not an issue that kind of um, has to do with a violation of our expectations. Um, we expected the Chinese government to be trying to steal personal data. We expected, you know, government agencies to try to safeguard it, and they screwed up. So that's 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 what happened there. And I think with corporate data breaches, it's quite similar. With Cambridge Analytica, what we're really seeing is. This is a a relationship that Facebook had with Cambridge Analytica. Cambridge Analytica didn't hack into the Facebook database. They did lie to Facebook about how they were using the data. Um, But that seems less like a hack and more like a failure of both law and public policy and compliance and corporate responsibility on the part of Facebook. Um, and it also is, is related very much to what we think is okay or not okay uh, with how uh, companies that are being hired by political campaigns or political uh, candidates, uh, how do they, what's fair game in terms of how they target voters and, and, and the messages that they use. Um, you know, back in the, in the 2008 campaign with Barack Obama and, and also in 2012, uh, this was seen very much as a positive. Uh, it was it was possible for a progressive you know candidate like barack obama to understand you know his supporters his voters better <laughs> through social media and through uh... new forms of technology and have a more participatory campaign in which people felt a stake in it these were all seen as very positive uh... uh implications for democracy uh... in 2016 it was seen quite in in a negative light as uh... the dark side of this kind of technology um, that a, a candidate like donald trump um, could manipulate people's uh, emotions about you know negative emotions about uh... social division um, using propaganda that was completely fabricated mm. and it wasn't even clear how much donald trump himself or even the trump campaign was doing this and how much it was being influenced by other actors, maybe even foreign governments, uh, the Russian government uh, trying to manipulate uh, America's election process. Um, I think maybe we were looking at the Obama model in a much too positive light. and, and we were, you know, we weren't seeing the possible downsides of the way in which uh, the Obama campaign and, and, and other campaigns over the past eight to ten years, have developed these sophisticated models, you know. Um, until the 2016 election, um, we didn't sort of think about the creepiness of going to a rally. And the first thing that happened uh, during the uh, during both campaigns in Obama was they say, "Give me your cell phone information, mm. right? Mm. Sign up for our app. Uh, we want all your personal information." And we're going to follow up with you to make sure not only you turn up on election day, but that maybe you help get some other people out to vote. Um, That was seen all very innocently. And I think, uh, you know, today in 2018, we're starting to think, hey, I just want to go to a rally here. Why are you asking for all my personal information? Mm. Um, So, you know, we're still uh, very much in the beginning stages of articulating the right uh, ethical and legal and... and, uh, 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 you know, standpoint for how to use personal data in this way.
1: You mentioned earlier the government's role in protecting privacy. How do you see the role of government on privacy changing? Where does the U.S. fit into the regulation of social media? And what part of other governments in Europe, for instance, play in privacy?
2: So, there was a lot of attention given to Mark Zuckerberg's testimony before Congress. Um... But I ultimately don't expect much to be coming out of either the Trump administration or this Congress uh, in terms of change when it comes to regulating social media or Silicon Valley um, because of a variety of factors. Um, uh, First of all, there's been a rather there's been a consensus uh, across both the Republican and Democratic parties uh, against regulation of Mm -hmm. that kind. Um, And and I don't see that that consensus may have weakened. Uh, somewhat because of these scandals, but I don't see it crumbling. Um, I I also think that when you look at just general political paralysis in our political system, the likelihood of any major regulatory, you know, a new law that Congress passed, or even a major new regulatory initiative, um, when you look at the agencies that would be doing that, that would be the Federal Trade Commission, which regulates consumer privacy, uh, that enforces... Terms of service, like uh, Facebook's privacy policy, that's enforced by the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, or if you look at elections, that's, that's enforced by the Federal Election Commission. Both those agencies are pretty much paralyzed. Uh, the FCC is, the, the Federal Election Commission is completely paralyzed, has been deadlocked for years uh, over traditional campaign finance violations and laws. I see no likelihood that they are going to be taking on a new big initiative involving social media. The Federal Trade Commission, I think, has done a good job on enforcement, uh, but given, you know, the Trump administration, the the general Republican uh, view that we should let the market decide, uh, I don't see them uh, taking on new, bold initiatives in privacy. Uh, You mentioned Europe. I I think Europe is going to be leading even more than it has been on issues of privacy. Uh, In just a few days, I believe, a major new revision of its privacy rules uh... goes into effect for the this is the first revision since nineteen ninety five uh... that's when the european community first adopted privacy rules and guidelines at the very very beginning of the uh... internet era um, to protect personal data and to uh... and to require things like notice and redress for people's uh... data they've they've uh, tr- you know enforce those at the national level, Um, but now they have put in place much stricter rules enforced at the European Union level um, called the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR. It gives uh, data subjects lots and lots and lots of new and quite robust rights to see the information companies are collecting about you, uh, to consent meaningfully to uh, have that data used or not used, uh... to opt out of data collection and use um, to enforce uh... protections against how people's uh, data are being used uh, and to get redress when it's abused uh, with very very stiff fines um, the stiffest fine up to four percent of a company's revenue that's a major major fine that's probably the biggest change in european privacy rules it's just the massive increase in potential penalties for companies mm-hmm. that violate it so we've seen Google and Facebook and other companies have been, um, you know, have been held responsible for violating European data rules. Uh, They generally haven't taken that very seriously because the result is a fine that they can just absorb. Now they'll have to take it a lot more seriously. Uh, So I've said, I I don't expect a lot of new rules regulating Silicon Valley to come out of Washington, D.C. But I do think those rules that are coming out of Brussels are going to be very influential. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, European Union, that's about 400 million people, uh, high income. It's a market that's very important for American tech companies and for American businesses generally. Uh, They've already spent a lot of money on complying with these new privacy rules. They'll spend more money. uh, And they may find that those rules set a standard that... um, Uh, They're going to have to make a business decision about Mm. whether they want to just try to cordon off Europe and only enforce those rules there, uh, or just adopt a higher standard for everybody. And I think many companies will find that adopting a higher standard for everybody uh, is the way to go, and that's going to raise privacy protections around the world. But um, it's, it's... uh, really, an area where I think the most important thing for the U.S. to do is to is to get out of the way. Uh, hmm. There's, you know, there's an old saying: you need to lead, follow, or get out of the way. And I think that with the U.S. and privacy for the next several years, um, the right thing to do is to get out of the way.
1: Do you see these new privacy regulations in Europe having a positive spillover for American consumers?
2: In the same way that you know California sets very high emission standards for automobiles. Hmm. And the automobile companies don't make a single car for California and a new car for everywhere else. Um, They just make one car that Mm. fits those high standards and they sell
1: it around the world. Regarding social media profiling, the whistleblower who revealed Cambridge Analytica's practices described the company as being able to exploit the inner demons of Facebook users. Do you think this rhetoric is overblown? And where do you see the future of this kind of profiling? Will it get better before it gets worse?
2: In the case of a Cambridge analytica, I think the rhetoric was you know tough but very appropriate. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what they were doing um, and I think that um, you know there are, um, obviously that's a negative way of describing um, profiling somebody or trying to figure out what they're gonna click on next. Uh, you can describe it in a more <coughs> positive way uh, but in the case of Cambridge Analytica, you were talking about, Basically luring people to, to particular types of, of uh, fake news sites or rhetoric um, that was designed to push your buttons to get you to vote a certain way uh, that had very little connection to any kind of democratic value or process, hmm. um, you know, where, where the information was false uh, and, and designed merely to manipulate you through propaganda. Uh, and that's a value judgment, but I think it's an appropriate one in the case of what Cambridge Analytica was doing. But Cambridge Analytica is no, is no more. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, that highlights two issues. One is obviously that's a deterrent in some sense. It shows that there is a consequence for this kind of massive disastrous screw-up. Uh, your company's just going to poof go away because it's uh, uh, it, it screwed up so badly when it comes to people's personal data. Um, but... I fear that the uh, value of that deterrent may be lessened because um, when you think about the tech startup mantra, you know, fail faster, um, a failure of a company isn't always considered to be such a terrible thing. Mm. Okay, we tried that, failed, we'll try something else next. Um, and it highlights the problems of accountability in the new economy and in the digital economy um, where you can create great regulations. Uh, You can create a good balance for how you think we should handle an issue like privacy, Um, but that uh, bumps up against a a kind of mentality of, look, um, it's what I call the bad man, it's not what I call, it's what Mm. Oliver Wendell Holmes called the bad man theory of the law, uh, which is look at the laws the way a bad man would and not the way a good one would.
1: Uh, and,
2: and that was his kind of realistic approach to law that looks at law in terms of consequences and sanctions. Um, so, you know, if your business model is based on violating people's privacy and privacy regulations come along, you're going to look for loopholes. You're going to look for ways to get away with it. Uh, you're going to look for ultimately the idea is, well, we'll try this, and if no one stops us, we'll keep doing it. Uh, eventually, you know, if if we get uh, destroyed and thrown out of business, that's okay. We'll start another one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a uh, there's a mismatch between the remedy of traditional regulation um, and and the the ethos of Silicon Valley and not just Silicon Valley, literally, but around the world when it comes to tech startup culture.
1: Thank you so much for your insight, Professor Edgar. And thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. It was wonderful to be here. So all this talk about Facebook has gotten me a bit curious about how much information we have out there on the web. So, Jacob, I wanted to play a game with you really quick if you were interested.
0: Yeah, sure. What kind of game, though?
1: Okay, so we have talked a lot about Cambridge Analytica and all the information they've been gathering from Facebook users, but we haven't really gotten to the specifics of what kind of information they have and what they can do with it. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you a source of data, and you, Jacob, in your infinite wisdom, have to tell me whether or not Cambridge Analytica has analyzed it, okay? And those listening, you can play along on the subway or at home or wherever you are, because podcasts are a flexible medium.
0: Yeah, be sure to shut out the answer as loud as you can. Yeah, hopefully, the more people that look at you, the better. We'll be listening on your Amazon Echo, so don't worry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Actually, we have contracted Cambridge Analytica to listen to our listeners so we can better target them for advertisements um okay (laughs) all right um question one does Cambridge Analytica have the capacity to study your friends on Facebook
0: uh well yeah we've already mentioned this before but yeah they they definitely have access to your friends data at least as much as what you've given right that's totally
1: right Um, Only 300,000 people downloaded the app, but because of how social networks work, they're a network, and uh, out of those 300,000 people, they knew enough other people to have a total of 87 million people that they uh, scanned. It originally was 50 million, but uh, before the congressional meeting, the congressional briefing with uh, CEO Mark Zuckerberg, they upped it, Facebook upped it to 87 million, so well done. Ding, 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 correct answer on the first one. Okay, next up. Does Cambridge Analytica have the ability to study your likes?
0: Yeah, I would imagine they could. It's interesting how much information you can get from likes, because I like a bunch of dumb things all the time.
1: Mm, right, right. And I, I guess that would mean that they could predict uh, what kind of things they would appeal to you. So, But you're actually 100% yeah. right. They can, and they have. Part of their uh, their profiles they were creating for these, these political organizations was using likes. And so research has shown that like likes can predict a lot of traits, and they can often predict them better than a lot of the voting files that a lot of uh, uh, political campaigns actually use. So, for example, this is crazy. Um, likes can predict the race of a Facebook user with 95% accuracy.
0: Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, is that wild? Yeah, that's really wild.
1: Yeah. Okay, so you're, you're two for two, um, going strong. So, this next one, this next one's a bit trickier. Private messages. Does... Cambridge Analytica have the ability to scan and study your Facebook private messages, which means we communicate primarily with Facebook Messenger for this show, so they've been following everything we've been doing, writing about them.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, as much as I'd like the answer, I think, here to be, no, they don't look at my private messages, I'm pretty sure they do.
1: Well, kind of. It's kind of a maybe. So, Mr. Cogan, Alexander Cogan, told the New York Times that um, when he was doing his research, quote, unquote, uh, he studied around... A couple thousand people's private messages and they harvested them for research and he was looking this is this is wild he was looking to see how people use emojis to convey emotions um and so he was in 2013-2014 uh the app this is your digital life collected people's private messages uh to get a better understanding of emojis but from what we know we don't know if cambridge Analytica actually has these these Troves of private messages, or if they've actually used them to create profiles. So it's like a no. Well, maybe we don't know, but I'm gonna count that as a good job.
0: Yeah, that's always fun uh, having to decipher emojis. That's actually a problem within uh, areas of law. You know, does a smiley face uh, mean that you accepted a deal or not? You know, does uh, putting a like on a comment mean you accepted it or not? I mean, it's a good question. So I, uh, that's actually uh, pretty interesting that they're that they're analyzing that themselves.
1: I'd love to hear you more. I'd love mm-hmm. to hear you talk about that more because that's such a fascinating like changing social dynamic that uh, you know that we're, we're trying to understand and get a hold on
0: yeah I think that's definitely a conversation for another day about how technology is changing traditional uh, traditional kind of law
1: okay so this is the final one uh,
0: all right let's do it for all the money for all the money for
1: all the all the money uh, the $800,000 I'll award you $800,000 if you get all four correct um, photos has Cambridge Analytica analyzed pictures that you've posted on Facebook
0: you know, I'm actually gonna say no on this. Uh, not because I don't think they probably have the capacity to do it. I mean, like that they would, wouldn't, wouldn't want to take them. But I think the uh, it's harder to analyze just photos themselves. Maybe the tags on the photos is something that they would pick out. So that's my that's my answer. I'd say no.
1: Oh, dude, perfect, perfect. Cambridge Analytica hasn't analyzed any of your pictures, and you're totally right. Mostly, Ugh. mostly because it's it's difficult to analyze pictures on mass. Like it, it, 87 million people's pictures. Like it's ridiculous. Um, however you are right. Like location data, uh, for a lot of Facebook users was taken. So if you, you know, tagged your location, um, like you took a selfie somewhere that could be recorded and analyzed. Um, so you're four for four. Well done. I guess you can add a a fun sound effect in post. Good job, though. Good job. Good oh, yeah. All right.
0: Th- that was the only one I was unsure about. Perfect. All right, cool. You
1: are the friendly neighborhood Cyberman, Jacob. Congratulations. Well done. Thank
0: you. I try- Thank you. I-, I appreciate this award. You won't get it yet soon. You know, listen, Zeus, you are not killing the Titans today. <laughs> uh, all right.
1: Right. And if this is sticking to the listeners now, if this interests you at all, uh, you can log on to Facebook right now and go to their help page. And there is a link that can tell you if you were scanned or not uh, by Cambridge Analytica. So this morning I went on Facebook. And I went onto their help page. And so one, according to this page, one of my 657 friends uh, downloaded This Is Your Digital Life in 2014. So that allowed my personal public profile, my page likes, my birthday, and my current city that I was living in in 2014 um, to be scanned. So Cambridge Analytica would know that I like and follow a banjo playing fan page.
0: How could they? I can't believe that Banjo uh, playing fan page narc done you like that.
1: Right. So if if they do like a targeted advertisement about like Earl Scruggs, I am donezo. So Cambridge Analytica has all my data, Jacob. They they know that my likes and everything. Are they going to like suffer for this at all? Like can they be penalized? They, did they break any laws?
0: It's really still a question of whether they violated the CFAA or not. It seems more likely that Kogan might have just by violating the terms of service that Facebook has imposed, but... Cambridge Analytica was kind of one step removed from that process. So it was a little unclear if the law would apply to him or not. Even so, I mean, it, it doesn't look like the current statutes are, are going to lead to any, you know, uh, criminal charges against against Cambridge Analytica. You know, it, it's really a domain that we are beginning to see like consumers are becoming much more aware of their privacy. And there hasn't really been a ton of case law of uh, consumers suing about this in the United States, at least.
1: I mean, there is the 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 Max Schrems case in Europe, but you know,
0: is that the right to be forgotten case? That
1: is the right to be forgotten case.
0: Yeah, right. Again, but again, that's Europe. It's not the United States. Yeah, there's there, Again, there's not a ton of case law in the U.S. that says a lot about this. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of computer law, um, you know, it's very it's it's develops as it goes, and it kind of relies on it kind of relies on these on these cases to help develop it. And there isn't really a lot going for it right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, I wanted to one of the things that uh, Professor Edgar said in the interview was this whole idea that uh, Europe is really kind of pushing and paving the way for privacy rights in in social media and in technology. Um, and he said something that really stuck with me, which was, um, the United States, there's like three states you could be in. you could you could be a leader, you could be a follower, or you can get out the way. And so it seems, in this case that, A lot of what Europe's doing is they're really like pushing, pushing the, the standard, pushing the bar on what, what privacy is and how privacy is conceived, and uh, we're we're not really doing that. Uh, At least you know the American government isn't really doing that as strongly. Um, So you know, as Professor Edgar said, we need to get out the way, or we are getting out the way.
0: Well, that is a shame. I mean, we've had conversations before about the, you know, the way that privacy and security are linked, and we're more likely than not going to have those again. So it's very hard to really have cybersecurity unless you also, I mean, it kind of comes part and parcel with also protecting privacy. So I I definitely see that as something that's going to be changing in the United States as we continually develop our own thoughts about what sort of rights to privacy we have, especially on the internet here. Decrypted is based upon work supported by the National Science Foundation under grant number 1433425 for the CyberCorp program at the George Washington University. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this material are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of the National Science Foundation.